Tyson back out top to Williams. Fakes the three. Comes in the lane. Gets absolutely hammered and no call. Now they call an offensive foul? Are you kidding me? That was that was five seconds after the play took place and both players jumped in the air. Kevin Kruger looking at the official saying, how can you make that call? 3.4 to go. Rebels with a final chance. Pass up ahead to Baker. Baker front court. Baker gets pushed down. No call and a loose ball. No, oh my gosh. The Rebels have the game absolutely stolen from them. That was absolute larceny. The Rebels need to get stops. That all? It's a backdoor up for Davis. Blocked by Ham. Oh. And they call a foul? On on who? Nobody touched him. Ham had a block. I thought, I assumed they were calling goaltending, if anything. Just crushed my dreams. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. UNLV plays Seattle tonight. The game is at Mandalay Bay, by the way, uh, with the rodeo in town. UNLV not able to play at Thomas and Max, so they're playing a couple of games this week at Mandalay Bay instead. Um, Jared, I have a quick I, trivia question for because you. Because of the pandemic, I totally forgot that once a year UNLV basketball gets displaced yes, they by get the rodeo. Normally they go play road games this week, but this week they... <laughs> Staying home, but not actually playing home games. I've got a trivia question for you and anybody that's listening that wants to play along. Can you name the only... Oh, that's a lie. There's two. Can you name the two players for UNLV that are shooting above 50% on two-pointers this season? Uh, Royce Ham? He is not. Whoa, okay. Which is a big problem. Isn't he like playing like the small ball center? Yes. He should be Yikes. making more than 50%. Yes. Marvin Coleman. Uh, no, Marvin Coleman is two for eight on two pointers this year. Yeah, I got nothing, man. Uh, Reese Brown is three for three on two pointers. And Jordan McCabe is nine for 16. But that's it. Those are the only players shooting above 50% on two pointers. We've talked a lot about UNLV's uh, struggles to shoot from three. They're shooting 29% this year. They're 292nd in the country in two point or in three point percentage this year. They're 309th in two point percentage. Like this isn't just a team that can't shoot from three. They can't score inside the paint either with any efficiency. And they like long twos. And they do like long twos. Although Kevin Kruger's trying to coach that out of them. But this is like this is a bad scoring team, and it's more than just they don't have guys that can knock down threes, which they don't have guys that can knock down threes. That's that's quite the issue for them at the moment. But they also, even when they don't shoot threes, they don't they don't score very often. By the way, their strength of schedule is all the way up to 17th in the country right now. It's pretty difficult. It'll go down a little bit tonight when they play Seattle. But uh, 17th. But Seattle was like schedule. seven and one. They are, but they haven't beaten anybody. There. Let's see. Seattle's best win on the season. Hastings. Uh, Idaho State. Did not know that there were two schools in Idaho. Yeah, so here, here's, here's Seattle's wins. Alcorn State, Idaho State, Morgan State, Arkansas Pine Bluff, Pacific Lutheran, St. Thomas, and McNeese State. A lot of states. A lot of states in there. They are the Their two losses are Washington State and uh, VMI. So... This is the only this is only the second game they're playing away from home this year too. So, I think UNLV wins tonight. They'll handle it. But 
do want to talk a little bit about a freshman for next year's team. Okay. Kyron Lindsay is the only freshman they have committed or signed in the 2022 class. Mike Grimala wrote a story on Kyron Lindsay because he's from Texas and he went to watch UNLV play against SMU. Not the ideal game to have a player at, but isn't that isn't that kind of a UNLV theme? Well, they get guides? blown out a lot, so yes. yeah. But like they get commits after blowouts. I assume that their thing is, well, we would have won had you been here. That is so. Uh, here's what his quote was after the game to Gramala. It's early in the season. They're still working on things. Watching today's game, I could see that. But I can see where I could fit in beginning next year. I know I could come in and make a big impact on both ends. So there's very much a, me- a measure of, oh, wow, I can play. I, I, can, I can play on this team. So here's, they what's, need me. here's what's curious about UNLV basketball and Kevin Kruger's, I guess, roster building going from here on out because you come in year one, whatever you want to put together in year one that things that you think gives you the best chance, go for it. Lindsay's again, the only freshman they have signed or committed. There's still plenty of time to sign more freshmen, but he's the only one. And they only had one freshman Keyshawn Gilbert in this last uh, class on this current team right now. I am curious to see what Kevin Kruger does with roster building because during this losing streak here where they've gotten blown out a couple of times there, Kevin Kruger's gotten some criticism, right? That's deserved. You lose a bunch of good games by like 20 points. You deserve to be criticized, but I've had a handful of people on Twitter that are like, what do you expect? It's your one. He didn't really, you know, he put a roster together of transfers. It's not really his roster, blah, blah, blah. I think this is going to be the game plan for UNLV. I think this is going to be the roster building plan for UNLV. I think they're going to go heavy transfer every year. And obviously you can get guys that transfer in that have multiple years of eligibility. So it's not like the entire roster has to turn over. They've got some of those guys this year that'll probably be back next year. But I think year to year, there's not going to be a whole lot of freshmen that come into this team. I think you're going to have a lot of transfers. You're going to have a lot of guys that were at Texas, Oklahoma, some power conference school that weren't playing that they say, yep, come over here. We're going to give you more time. You're going to have guys like Justin Webster and Mike Nuga that were good at, you know, a Kent state or a Hawaii. And you say, listen, take the step up, even though, you know, he's not that much of a step up from either of those schools, but take the step up, take the slightly diagonal step right. up and come do that here. Right. So I think you're going to have that year to year. So the idea that, I mean, yes, it is year one. And I don't, it, we're not, it's not about being like overly critical of Kevin Kruger in the roster. I do think there's some big flaws that we've seen with his roster building this year, but it is year one, right? And you, you'll have a better idea in year two and year three about Kevin Kruger and putting a roster together. But I do think this is the general plan is to bring in a bunch of transfers. And so I do think it's fair to criticize what the, the roster that they built. Cause I don't think this is out of the norm for what UNLV is going to be doing. I do think they're going to be bringing in, a lot of transfers year after year. I don't think we're looking at, Hey, bring in five freshmen and let them be the foundation and be good in three years. I don't think that's the plan. I don't think they have any interest in doing that. I think it's going to be a lot of transfers. And if they think there's a impact freshman that can help them, they'll go get that guy, right? They've offered some big name freshmen, right? Uh, Kyron Lindsay's a, a top 100 player. So they've offered some big name freshmen too. They lost out on a couple of them, Milo Suzanne and, um, Richard Isaacs, they were in like the final four and they went to other schools. So like they're going to go after some big name freshmen, some higher ranked freshmen, but for the most part, it's going to be transfers. And so you look at this year, sure, it's year one and you're not going to crush Kevin Kruger over what happens in year one, but it is probably how they're going about building the roster year after year is with the transfer portal. Okay. So that, that was always what Musselman did at Nevada and his like, 
every year they basically improved, except for obviously they won 29 games two years in a row, but whatever. It like he would bring in transfers and then like supplement it with recruits and he built a four year what what they were they won yeah. 700 or like yeah 70 percent of their games yeah it's like the, it's a winning formula right the the bet so the best three teams in the mountain west over the last five years or so right nevada was awesome for a few years with muscleman san diego state has been very good with brian dutcher and utah state was very good utah state's best players were nemish Keda and sam merrill neither one were transfers both were guys that came to utah state well, as one, of, one of them was like a 30 year old freshman uh, yeah they all are but nevada with muscleman built through transfers san diego state is sort of a, a mix right like they're probably their best player this year is a transfer a guy that came in from cal their best player two years ago when they were when unlv ended their uh best season their best player was malachi flint a transfer that came in like They've had freshmen and they've had guys they've recruited, but they've also gone out and added important players in the transfer portal. You win the Mountain West with transfers. Like, that's what happens in this conference. You win this conference with transfers. You've got to get the right ones. You've got to get the best ones. UNLV didn't do that this year. But, like, you're going to win this conference with transfers. You've got to find your Malachi Flint, right? You've got to find the guy, because Malachi Flint was coming from a power conference, right? He's coming from Washington State to UNLV. And... The slight difference there is he was playing a lot at Washington State, right? At UNLV, they brought in Donovan Williams, Royce Ham, guys that were not playing a lot at Texas. Malachi Flynn was playing a ton at Washington State, and San Diego State got him. But you've got to find the right freshmen or the right transfers and the good ones. That's how that's how UNLV wins the conference is when they lay when they hit on a superstar transfer. That's how they win the conference. That's what happens. It's probably not going to be freshmen. It's more likely they hit on a super uh, transfer than it is a freshman. I I totally like I'm I'm on board. I think that basically seeing what Eric Musselman did with Nevada, where he was just grabbing dudes and being like, "All right, yeah, yeah, you guys come on in. Uh, you'll play, you know, 15 minutes a game." At just like his supplementation of his roster is was more yeah. almost more impressive than yeah. landing the huge transfers. Yeah, he was great. I, I don't see why, like, I don't I don't understand why that would even be a criticism of like, oh, we need homegrown guys. The homegrown guys, the guy, if you're good, if you're playing at Bishop Corman and you're good enough to get a Power 5 offer, well, I don't know why they won't stay at UNLV. They live in Vegas. They've already experienced that. Yeah, they Go missed, get us. They missed on Julian Strother from Vegas, who's at Gonzaga now. And starts oh, for Gonzaga. Gonzaga. Right. That's that's what happens to a lot of the good players here. So you got it. The transfers are going to be the key here. By the way, you had someone in one of your tweets, like some someone in your mentions. I know you don't actually look that hard at them, but went off on the fact they lost to a Jesuit school. Like that was the part that was breaking this fan was that they lost to a Jesuit school. Is that what, a thing? San Francisco? Yeah. Is that a thing in basketball? Like, oh, I can't like... Well, like, is that like? Isn't Gonzaga that? I'm pretty sure. Like, why, why, why is that? Like, it's not like it's a regional like Hebrew institution or something. Like, why, why was that your breaking Maybe point? Maybe UNLV needs to become a Jesuit school. Maybe that changed the tides here. <laughs> Forget about transfers. Hey, they just got research. Yeah. So, last thing here on UNLV basketball, what I think is going to be very funny tonight. UNLV is going to play a game at Mandalay Bay. There is not a vaccine requirement at Mandalay Bay. It's going to be anybody can go. Uh, you just have to wear a mask. 
I've had a lot of people on Twitter. I say a lot. It's probably like six people. But I've had like six people on Twitter that have yelled at me about UNLV's attendance this year and saying, well, there's a reason nobody's at these games. It's because it's a vaccine requirement. I am going to find it very funny when there are 17 people at this game tonight because attendance is going to be bad. And you look around and say, oh, I thought the vaccine requirement was why UNLV had bad attendance. No, people are idiots. UNLV sucks at basketball. They've sucked at basketball for eight years. That's why people don't show up. Yeah. It's not that hard to figure out. They haven't played a meaningful game in eight years. They've not played a game with any NCAA tournament significance in like eight years. Nobody's showing up to watch that program. It's not because there's a vaccine requirement at Thomas and Mac. Hell, there's probably more people at the game because of that. But there's the six people that'll yell at me on Twitter and be like, listen, I know a guy that gave up his season tickets because of it. Yeah, cool. Right? The guy probably wasn't going anyway because they suck. Yeah, pretty much. Coming up next, Sam and Ash join the show. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff. Call the judge and get some fudge. Call the judge and get some fudge? On ESPN Las Vegas. It's just me and you, Ash. Where's Sam? I don't know, that guy. No, he's he's busy working, doing uh, his other job, his overrated. day job. Overrated. Yeah. I know. He's apparently taking notes from Ed. <laughs> Ed is gone again. Um, but here's the thing. You we didn't get to this a couple weeks ago. I didn't even know it was happening. I wish Ed was here for this, but we I do want to talk about the modern day high school haze, high school football hazing allegations here. Um I guess so for anybody that doesn't know modern day high school, their football teams under some allegations of hazing. Uh, Some of the allegations are basically players forming a circle around another player and like punching them repeatedly until that guy quits and and gives up. Um, But the bigger issue is probably here, at least from the adult side, is that the head coach says that he knew about this or it seems he admitted that he knew about this. And I guess my, my first question is when we talk about like blame or if there's a lawsuit involved here, like how much goes to kids that are in high school versus how much falls on the actual head coach, the adult that was in charge here? Well, because they're minors, a lot of the responsibility falls on the adults in the room to make sure that it's a safe environment, that when these children show up, that they are protected from anything, um, from any injuries, unnecessary injuries and things like this. And so the critical thing here is the the, the victim's father, the victor, victim's a minor. So the lawsuits brought by his father and uh, the allegations say that the head coach, Bruce Rollinson, was fully aware of the game and the hazing ritual and that he was basically just flippant like if I knew if I knew how many times they did it or I got paid it for how many times I knew they did it I'd be a millionaire well that's a problem um, the critical thing also is knowing what the extent of the hazing ritual really is and whether or not other injuries were reported as a result of it too because if it's a stupid little thing that all these kids do and no one gets hurt and no one hates it and no complains about it well then that explains why bruce rollinson's kind of flip about it it's like oh the kids are just being kids and it doesn't have any real consequence but it sounds like that's not really the case so it's a problem so um from the story uh the district attorney's office is not seeking charges against the players or the school so does this just end up as a lawsuit from the the father of the player that of the kid that got hurt? Like, is that just ultimately what happens here? Is a lawsuit that's about money? Right. So there's always, you know, you are looking at whether or not there's criminal 
claims that can be brought or charges that can be brought for punishment, either with jails, fine, probation, et cetera. And then there's civil lawsuits, which is the only thing now remaining, and that's going to be resolved with monetary damages or recovery. And so it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Um, so it doesn't appear as though this would apply to this situation, but what determines just in general for somebody that's a minor to be tried as an adult? Oh, you know, it's usually the their age at the time, the actions that they've taken. It's like a it's basically the prosecutors will when they're bringing charges, they will attempt to try the the minor as an adult and they'll make their argument for why. And they'll look at the severity of the charges, the conduct of the minor, um, the actions and their age. So if they're 17 and they've done something very, very severe and, and heinous, then the likelihood of being tried as an adult is significant. I mean, Kyle Rittenhouse is a great example of it. He was tried as an adult, but he was basically 17. Is, or it, 18. is it a matter of, I guess the age there is important, how close you are to 18, but is, is it, I don't know if there's a way that this is actually phrased legally, but is it a matter of like, yeah, you might be 16 or 17, but you should have known better than that? Yeah. So again, I don't, I don't do criminal law and these things are all fact sensitive and, and, uh, decided basically in the jurisdiction where it happened. So here we're, we're talking about modern day's football team. And so that's based in Orange County, California. So the Orange County District Attorney would look at these, um, these charges and allegations and the ages of the individuals and make a decision based on whatever laws they have on the books. And, and that's how it would be argued in front of a judge. And then the judge would decide it. All right. Fun story in the world of college football the last couple of months. Um, Jeff Banks is a I special have so teams many questions for you about this for the Texas Longhorns. Um, he uh, did. He left his uh, wife and child uh, to marry a former stripper who owns a Wait, monkey. She's former. Yeah, she's no longer. Oh. She's no longer performing. Who owns a monkey? Who used to be in her uh, routines. <laughs> and what happened is apparently on Halloween, Jeff Banks and his wife now, they had some some sort of haunted house set up that people could come and walk through. And apparently uh, a kid came with his parents and that kid got bit by the monkey. Now, we've had two different explanations of this. Uh, oh, and I forgot the fun detail here. The former stripper was called Pole Assassin. Yeah, uh, I was like, how are we missing that? That's right. That? I forgot Pole Assassin. That, that um, is like half my question. Right. So uh, <laughs> Pole Assassin, her, what she said happened was that, hey, the kid went through the haunted house thing, which was really just sort of on the side of their house. And then he kept walking through a gate into their backyard that he was not supposed to go through, that he was told to turn around when he got to that point, And he didn't. He went through the gate into the backyard and he walked over and stuck his hand in to the to the cage where the monkey was and that's how he got bit that was pole assassin's side of the story the <laughs> other side of the story from the kid or at least the kid's parents is that no she basically brought the monkey out and was like hey my monkey knows how to give high fives give him a high five and the monkey bit the kid on the hand and that's how this happened uh, I, I guess is, is the answer here. You got to have eyewitnesses. Like, how do you prove whose story is right? Well, yeah. So eyewitnesses will help, you know, you want to have someone that is there and, and ideally unrelated to pole assassin, the monkey or the family of the kid, um, because then they're an independent witness and they won't have any bias or, 
likely intention to maybe lie or misrepresent the actual facts of what occurred. You would also, you know, you'd get a lawyer to send them a preservation of evidence letter way back when this happened around Halloween so that if they had any surveillance video uh, that would be recording throughout the time on the on the exterior of their house, that would be forced to be preserved. And so that's what you would look toward. Uh, Ash with us from SalmonAshLaw.com. Um, I, this is not really a legal part of this, but I I tend to believe the child side of this just simply because if you have a pet monkey, I imagine you aren't keeping it caged in the backyard during Halloween and you're very much bringing it out and saying, hey, let's go high five some kids. Yeah, absolutely. If I had a pet monkey and it's Halloween, that thing's not in a cage in the back of the house with a little index card saying caution. Uh, yeah. And, you know, if I think in, you mentioned in the article mentioned that the monkey was part of the routines that Paul Assassin used to do in her former career. So I think he's probably a well-adjusted monkey and he's not always in a cage. So I think I could see her having him out. Well, okay. Well, that's surprising that Hollywood over here doesn't have a monkey. Uh, <laughs> I'm how... a dog, and he's enough. Oh, he's he's a lot. We keep hurting him. Um, so my question is, if you had to, I don't know, cross-examine Pole Assassin or like send some sort of legal document, how do you like formally? Do you say Ms. Pole Assassin, Ms. Assassin? <laughs> Do you call her pole? Like, what, what? what is the legalese for, like, trying to talk to this person? Yeah, I think uh, you and I would both want to refer to her as pole assassin, but if she had a good lawyer on her side, they would, they would make a motion to exclude any references to it. <laughs> well, okay. Actually, here's, here's my thought on it, is that which side is more likely to try to enter in videos of the monkey performing on stage? Like if this actually went to court, like who would that help more to be like, look, this monkey was on stage as a part of the routine. Oh, I think the, the kid, you know, the likelihood that the monkey's not always in a cage and that he's civilized. But I, I guess here we, we have a fact of an animal that otherwise and based on pole assassins stories that he's a very friendly monkey uh, and he gets along with everyone, but on this one time he was in a bad mood. And so this kid got hurt and you know what, whether the kid was in a, whether the monkey was in a cage or out on enjoying Halloween, it doesn't matter. You're responsible for your pets and the injuries they cause. So that's the critical thing. Both sides might try and use it. Good God. All right. Um, <laughs> So I, I stumped you? No, no, I just have, like, we would also like to enter in a video of her routine. <laughs> please, please shield the child's eyes while we show this video of the monkey. Uh, what, like, what would be your guess here? Is this just, hey, they're suing for, like, damages? Because the kid had to go to the hospital, like, there was an injury. It's here. a monkey. Right, like, uh, it, does that ultimately, you think, what happens here is they sue and... and yeah, they, I guess they could lose, but they end up getting some sort of damages monetarily for the injury and then distress caused from it. Yeah, so it's it's actually interesting that they filed a lawsuit already because, you know, you could handle this stuff out of court. You file in a claim with the homeowner's insurance policy and because that would cover injuries on the property unless there's a specific monkey exclusion <laughs> where it's not going to cover it. Um, but yeah, and, and usually insurance companies, if the injuries are significant, proven and liabilities there, um, which I it's arguably there enough for this case, they should have resolved it already. So 
it's either a case of attorneys wanting to file a lawsuit and be in the press or insurance companies doing the wrong thing and not resolving this for uh for pole assassin and the monkey so you know she doesn't want what is it gaia's good name gia gia like is that the monkey yeah Yeah. the monkey is gia she like she wants to make sure that the the monkey's name gets cleared like she she, he did not bite this child well actually that's the one fact of the case (laughs) that they both agree on the the, kid definitely got bit bit. yes both both agree on Uh, that i oh man I'm curious because I'm still obsessed with the name. Uh, <laughs> what, like, what do you do if you have to file something where you're like, on behalf of my client, world be free? Oh, you you mean if I represented yeah. a police? I we you know I I've worked on a case where this is fascinating. A woman who was a str- at the time a stripper was a in a dancer. car accident. <laughs> was uh, in a car accident and her shoulder was severely injured. And as a result, it, it it impacted her ability to do her career and profession. And we had to use photo videos and photos to help prove our, our lost wage claim. <laughs> How'd you ask for those? You know, it was tactful. <laughs> I, you know, I, but you know, we got paid. We did, you know, if you get hurt, you're entitled to your damages. That's got to be the weirdest, like, per diem or like they like. Wait, how many hours at the at this particular? A lot of it's cash, so it was difficult. (laughs) I will admit, a lot of her earnings are cash, so that was difficult. I told her that's going to be hard to prove. Well, she is Ash at SalmonAshLaw.com. 702-820-1234 is the phone number. Ash, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Oh, I appreciate you guys. Have a good one. So 702-820-1234 is the number. SalmonAshLaw.com is the website. And that's Pole Assassin for you. Chris Chapman, the producer of the VGK Insider Show, text in, but can the monkey tend bar? That is a very good question and a throwback to one of our rejoins that is used on a regular basis. Look at Chris Chapman. Apparently, a loyal listener. Free, yeah, frequent listener. So thus far today, we've had the program director and a producer for another show text in. Apparently, our listeners are now my mom and our coworkers. And Sploosh ah! from Chicken Derby. Who listens and has chickens? I love Sploosh. We've got like at least five here. We've branched out to Sploosh. You still seem unsure if I should be saying Sploosh on the air. I just don't know. Coming up next, it's Bischoff's Briefs. Call Sam at Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit their website, samandashlaw.com. Sam and Ash, because you deserve what's right. Bischoff's Briefs. Speaking as an extremely clever person, I feel a bit personally attacked by the concept of an evil genius. Anti-intellectualism is rife in the world today, encouraged no small amount by a media concerned that their advertisers' claims that their breakfast cereal induces hallucinogenic bliss in woodland creatures might not hold up to rigorous academic study. Bischoff's Briefs. Well, let's see how far your street smarts and common sense get you when you need someone to figure out how to turn a city-sized plot of oceanic waste plastic into drinkable water and hospital-grade insulin. Bischoff's Briefs. Just because I'm smarter than everyone else doesn't mean I look down on people. Someone has to make my sandwiches. Just because I can envision a vastly more efficient society with myself as absolute dictator doesn't mean I want to go to that amount of trouble. Just because I ordered the installation of an oubliette in my basement doesn't mean I have sinister intentions for it. Bischoff's Briefs. So stop asking questions and get your jackhammer out. 
What's that from? It's from a series called Zero Punctuation. All right. I like that guy. Yeah. He's really good. He's also an author. Uh, his name's Yahtzee Croshaw. His name is Yahtzee? Yes. Like the game? Yes. Were people named Yahtzee before that game came out? No. I mean, no. Okay. I, I, I think it might be that we've hit that weird part of society where people's internet monikers have become their legal names. Ah, like Pole Assassin. And I think that was more of a, you know, artistic <laughs> flair. Sort of how Da Vinci's called Da Vinci. There's not a lot of people going, Leonardo. All right. I have found a missed opportunity for the Golden Knights. A way they could have kept Marc-Andre Fleury. And, well, technically it's a way they could keep him in the future, too. Or bring him back in the future. So, Tuka Rask practiced with the Boston Bruins as an emergency backup goalie. So the NHL has emergency backup goalies. It's uh, one of like the funnest things in all of sports where the sport of hockey goalie is like the most important position in any given game, but there is a scarcity of them right to the point where teams usually only have two. Occasionally teams will carry three goalies, but for the most part you only have two. And if something happens like on game day, you might not have a goal, right? You're always like two injuries or two illnesses or whatever away from simply not having the most important position in the sport. Is this like one of those things where it's like, you guys have to take separate cars, right? Yeah. If you guys get in a car accident together, we're bleeped. So because of this, there's such a thing as an emergency backup goalie. And basically every like city has one, right? Where uh oh, one of the teams in the game suddenly lost both yeah, the goalies. Ours is uh, Jesse Granger. Uh, David Ayers is one of the more popular stories. He was the Toronto emergency backup goalie. And what was it? Two seasons ago, he played for the Carolina hurricanes and they won. Um, it was great. So like it creates great storylines. It's one of like the funnest things in all of sports. Well, in Boston, Tuka Rask practices as the Bruins' emergency backup goalie. He has played 560 career games with the Bruins. This isn't just like the guy who played in in college or something that's just like, oh, yeah, he's the Zamboni driver and he used to play hockey. Yeah, you bring him in. This is a guy who's played 500-plus games in the Might NHL. Might be a threat to score. Right. Uh, he is at a contract, right? He doesn't have a contract right now. He might end up signing a contract with Boston, but before that, before he ends up signing, he is the emergency backup goalie. He's been in practice with them as sort of the emergency backup goalie. So my logic here, Marc-Andre Fleury could be the emergency backup goalie. And then guess what? Those don't count against the salary cap. Right now, Marc-Andre Fleury is making $7 million, right? That contract needs to end. The guy that's under contract can't be your emergency backup goalie, right? He needs to be out of contract. So what needs to happen? Here's the scenario. After this season, when Fleury's contract is up, Bill Foley needs to hire Marc-Andre Fleury. It's like a consultant for family Foley, wine, Foley family wines. Right? Hey, give him a job. Pay him $5 million a year. He can be a spokesperson, maybe not a consultant. I don't think you are, like, the executive vice president of shaking season ticket holders' hands. But Derek England already has that job. Okay, the executive 
president. <laughs> How mad would Derek England be like, wait, you just hired him and he's my boss? <laughs> but uh, no, Foley Family Wines. He's not not even employed by the by the organization. It's a separate business, Foley Family Wines, right? Just ambassador. Of Foley he speaks Family French. Wines. Right, Wine, sure. yeah. yeah. Pay him like $5 million a year. Whatever. Pay him whatever you want. There's no salary cap. Pay him $20 million a year, right? That's his job. And then guess what? Flurry's the emergency backup goalie in Vegas. Something happens to both of the Golden Knights goalies. Guess who's suiting up? Mark andre Flurry. So then all you need, 30 times a year, eh, something happened to Robin Leonard and Laurent Brossois. We don't know what. They both are pulled a muscle. I don't know. Flurry's in net. 30 we, times oh, a year. We accidentally we accidentally uh, sent paperwork, and both of them were getting sent down to the <laughs> AHL. We're trying to get it reversed. And just like that, Marc-Andre Fleury is back playing for the Golden Knights, and he doesn't count against the salary cap. You don't have to – well, Foley's got to pay him, but you don't have to pay him anything as it relates to the salary cap. Now, there is one major flaw. One. In my plan here. <laughs> There's one. The emergency backup goalie is available to both teams. Well, I mean, I I, I genuinely think this fan base will root for Flurry either way. <laughs> yes. So, like, there's there's a chance in this scenario that Bill Foley's paying Mark Andre Flurry five million dollars to be the Foley Family Wines ambassador. Edge. And he's pitches a shutout. In comes Edmonton, and they're like, "Well, both our goalies are hurt, so I guess we got to use Mark Andre Fleury." And the Golden Knights lose to their division leaders because Mark Andre Fleury shut him out. There's a major flaw there because other teams could exploit this as well. But I, I have figured it out. Do you want to sell tickets or right. not? How to get Fleury back? And I do think you're right. If the Golden Knights did this and Fleury was somehow playing for the other team. I think they're cheering for Mark Andre Fleury. It's like, yeah, they'd be like, "This is what you get, Golden Knights." I, I still, I'm, I cannot wait until Mark Stone scores a goal and Flurry and gets booed. <laughs> <laughs> like, the captain of the team is getting booed because oh. he scored a goal. I do. Okay, so the Blackhawks are going to come here. Is that in January? I believe so. Um. I am excited to see the reaction there. I do assume Golden Knights fans are going to cheer for the Golden Knights to score on Flurry. I do assume that's going to happen. I've I don't. I've I these people are insane. Right. But I do think the fans in the building for the most part are cheering for for the Golden Knights to beat Marc Andre Flurry. They might all go into this thinking, how about a nice nothing victory where Flurry makes 49 saves? Marc-Andre Fleury gave up, what, four goals in under five minutes? And people think of that as a Cody Eakin play. Yeah, well, it is. It happens. Um, could blame Derek England, too. He was on the ice for all the goals they gave up. But that's just your executive president of shaking hands and executive vice president teaming up there. But, yeah, I just um, I'd be curious to see what happens when Fleury's here. Because I, I assume Golden Knights fans are going to cheer the Golden Knights to win, but also they probably aren't going to be pumped if like, I, I think the, okay. Golden Knights fans are going to cheer for the Golden Knights to win. I think there might be a little trepidation. If somehow the Golden Knights are like, ah, hey, we put seven past flurry. Like then they might be like, oh. uh, let's calm down. What if they, I, what if they like hit double digits? 
that would be my ultimate like flurry like flurry oh no flurry gets pulled yeah he, they, would, he would get pulled before double uh, yeah but they flurry gets pulled and they just smoke him yeah it would uh, it would be one of those like it would be funny half the fan base would be mad at the team and then the other half would be like this litter guy yeah. <laughs> this litter guy is pretty good it would it would be funny uh flurry by the way playing very well recently He's no longer the worst goalie in the league. He's actually been so good that his numbers are, he's above average now. Like he's probably one of the top 15 goalies in hockey. So now. basically his career where he goes yes. cold for a yes. very extended play. <laughs> and at the end of the day, he ends up being an above average goalie. Yeah. That's what he, that's what he's been his entire career. He's had, he's had like two really good seasons. And then for the, but for the most part, he's been a, you know, above he's the average goalie, goalie that can get you to the st- to the playoffs, and then you need someone to come in to win the Stanley Cup. He won one once, but yeah, if the Golden Knights had uh, traded him out before the Stanley Cup final against Washington, maybe they would have won what? Maybe they'd have a cup in year one. Maybe. Should have put Malcolm Subban in year <laughs> they, one. They literally, they would have signed Subban to an extended contract. <laughs> Should have brought in Calvin Pickard for the Stanley Cup final. All right, here we go. We have four tickets to Disney on Ice, January 6th and through the 9th. Disney on Ice will be at the Thomas and Mack Center. And we've got four tickets for you right now. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. We're taking caller number 11. You're going to win four tickets to Disney on Ice right now. You're also going to be in to win the grand prize, which is a 55-inch 4K smart TV that we'll be giving out just in time for the holidays. So four tickets to Disney on Ice right now. And a chance to win a 55-inch television. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. 702-364-1100. Caller number 11. And the Lakers steal it. Outlet. L-B-J. LeBron tiptoeing on the baseline. We're three minutes into the second quarter. LeBron alone on the way. LeBron's got another one. For the first month of the season, y'all blame everything on Russell Westbrook. For the Lakers bid putting all them old ass geezers together. Now I hear y'all gonna fire Frank Vogel. Listen, Russ is learning. Frank Vogel is a terrific coach. Put all them old ass geezers together and just trying to blame other people. It ain't right and it ain't cool. For me, I don't really believe in a lot of days in between, whatever the case may be. That's just but that's just my mindset. I'm getting involved in how many minutes I've played or how old I am. I don't I don't confine to that. I think, you know, when you think negative thoughts, negative energy, then it just creeps into your mind. So I'm as young as I've ever been. You're locked in the press box. Is he a geezer or is he as young as he's ever been? Yeah, as young as he's ever been. I uh, I enjoy Charles Barkley yelling about Anthony Davis not being good enough. Because I don't know that he's wrong. Like the whole point of having a big two is that you have a big two. Two. And that, okay, yeah, LeBron James misses some time. That means Anthony Davis is supposed to be the big one that keeps the team good, and they haven't been that good. Granted, they're in sixth place in the West. They're killing it. Not in the play-in rounds right now. Is is it bad that I just feel like basketball season doesn't start until December 25th? Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, it's, I mean... Hell, does it even start until after the NCAA tournament? It just, I don't understand. We've got, it's the one sport where we could go, you guys really don't need to play 82 games. Just whichever teams have the most stars, put them in a playoff. Well, the, the Lakers aren't any good, and we would have put them in the playoffs. Yeah, but like, 
and maybe they would have lost. You got to play the, the games, Jared. Come on. You got to be fair here and play the games. You got to do it the right way. Uh, congratulations to Bill. He won the press box holiday hookup. So he got a uh, four pack of tickets to Disney on ice and has a chance to win the 55 inch 4k smart TV. I assume we're giving that away again tomorrow, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, so we, we will have more tickets to go to um, Disney on ice tomorrow and get more people entered to win that 55 inch television. Plus the golden Knights tickets. As far as I'm aware, we are doing that through the 17th. Uh, you ready for this? Uh Oh, we got a horse racing. Oh, good God. In two minutes. Uh, so actually, we have exactly two minutes left in the show. Spectacular. So um, this is how long uh, does a horse race take? Uh, this is an eighteen hundred. So yeah, we'll be off the air over a minute. So we'll be. No, off the I air. meant I meant how long after because we have to record stuff after. Yeah, the like show, less than so. two minutes. You're good. You're good. Ninety seconds. Um, go smoke a heater. Right. So here's <laughs> the, our horse racing is horse to be named later. Um, the funny part here is that we are in the A shaped tournament. Uh, <laughs> if you weren't listening earlier, I, I had... our fake horses introduced the people introduced a tournament for horses that are bad horses that finish like sixth, seventh, and eighth all the time, not horses that finish first or last all the time. So they have a tournament where you get more points for finishing in the middle, six, seven, eight, than you do finishing one, two, three, or, or 10, 11, 12. Horse to be named later has been very good in this tournament. What's funny is, um, in our horse racing, the before the race starts, they'll show a little flame icon next to three horses, right? Those are conceivably the three horses most likely to finish on the podium of that race. Horse to be named later got a flame, and we're very disappointed by this because we want him to finish eighth or seventh, not first, second, or third. I'm so confused. No, you're not. You're following it. No, you're good to I go. do follow it. So yeah, we're, I wish I didn't. We're, like, I wish I didn't understand this. We're very disappointed that Horse to be named later might win this race. I, my biggest problem with it is that the breeding seems to like select like it doesn't seem to actually create better horses. Well, it's not supposed to, in that regard. I'll be completely honest with you. I I should probably put more thought into this. But I do think Zed, our horse racing game, would be better off in the long term if horses died. Like, if you lost your digital horse, I think it'd be better. 